Hi, my name is Justin Cook. I'm a partner in the capital markets practice of Allen & Overy in New York. And I'm Deanna Billick. I'm a U.S. capital markets partner uh, sitting in A&O's Paris office. And we're going to just take a few minutes today to speak with you about the SEC's unveiling of its long-awaited climate-related disclosure regime. That proposal, released last Monday, March 21st, at an open meeting of the SEC, is captioned the Enhancement and Standardization of Climate-Related Disclosures for Investors. And that caption really embodies the SEC's stated rationale for the proposal, specifically that investors are increasingly focused on climate-related issues when making investment decisions, but the disclosures made by registrants on which investors would make those decisions vary drastically in scope, detail, and quality. The SEC's stated aim with the proposal is to provide consistent, comparable, and reliable information to investors. That's a theme that the proposal and the SEC's comments about it highlight repeatedly. We've known that the SEC has had a climate-related proposal on its agenda since at least March 2021, when Commissioner Allison Heron-Lee published a request for public input on potential climate-related disclosure. That request for public input received a very high volume of public comment, even putting aside the standard uh, form responses. The commission received more than 3,000 pages of public comment. Uh, based on public reporting by Bloomberg and other media sources, the proposal was delayed for a number of months because of disagreement among the three Democratic commissioners over how aggressive the rule should be, with Chairman Gensler advocating for more limited rulemaking that would be much more likely to survive legal and political challenges, and Commissioners Lee and Crenshaw advocating for much more extensive rulemaking. It's fair to say that the proposed rule goes as far as market participants reasonably expected that it would, and far beyond what many issuers and other market participants had had hoped. Uh, and it's important to note that the proposal was not unanimously supported by the commissioners, with Commissioner Hester Pierce, the only sitting Republican, reading a very detailed and pointed dissent, which is available on the SEC's website. If adopted, the proposed rule would require climate-related disclosure from all SEC reporting companies, including foreign private issuers and including smaller reporting companies. If adopted, the proposed rule would require climate-related disclosures from all SEC reporting companies, including foreign private issuers and smaller reporting companies, in their registration statements and annual reports. In a moment, we'll discuss in greater detail what those requirements are. It's important to highlight that the proposal is not yet law. The SEC has set a public comment period that will run through at least May 20 of 2022. We expect that the SEC will receive a nearly unprecedented volume of comments, which the SEC is required by law to review and consider before adopting a rule. We do expect that the SEC will adopt a final rule after considering those comments and before year end. And it's important to highlight that any final rule will be subject to challenge potentially through the courts or or even in Congress. So I'll turn it over to Diana to discuss some of the proposed uh, mandatory climate disclosures, which fall into several buckets. Yes, and we'll go through those in turn, starting with climate-related risks and their impacts. The proposal is very thorough. Um, it includes requirements that go beyond the risk factor section. In fact, it's quite prescriptive as to where the SEC expects to see different kinds of disclosures. It makes it very clear it could flow through. 
It makes reference to commonly utilized sections such as the MDNA and, of course, the risk factors. But also it asks for a new section that would regroup all of climate-related risks according to the proposals so as to enhance comparability across uh, across issuers and to assist investors in finding the most relevant information quickly. In part, the SEC starts the discussion in asking issuers to consider how severe and frequent natural disasters can damage assets, disrupt operations, and increase costs. Not groundbreaking questions, but what's very interesting in the proposal is how granular the proposal actually gets in setting out the type of questions that the SEC expects issuers to go through in considering uh, climate-related impacts on their business operations and on their financial statements. Specifically, what are the risks and costs associated with transition to lower carbon products, practices, and services triggered by changes in regulation and consumer spending? Again, not groundbreaking questions and honestly probably questions that issuers typically go through in analyzing the risks to their current operations when they look at trends that will have or that can reasonably be expected to have a material impact on their results of operations and financial condition in future periods. What's new with the proposal and what's actually quite interesting is it seeks to impose a more systematic approach to disclosing the risks that companies already think about and that do so in the context of materiality to the business through well-established case law and principles that issuers are quite familiar with. It is granular in the sense that it really asks issuers to look at both physical risks, so what are the climate-related conditions and events that can present risks related to the physical impacts of the climate, as well as risks related to potential transition to lower carbon economy? Uh, those are termed to be transition risks. The proposal also goes on to set out some thoughts about how these risks would be defined. What do we think of as acute risks? What do we think of as chronic risks? And again, this is going further than most historical proposals have gone in looking at disclosure issues relating to an issuer's operating environment. Justin, what about corporate governance and risk management? Thank you, Diana. The second bucket of disclosure to discuss is corporate governance and risk management. The requirements proposed by the SEC are fundamentally disclosure-based, i.e. they're not prescriptive, but they are very clearly intended to provide a push for issuers to implement a climate-oriented corporate governance framework. The requirements apply both at the board level and to management. At the board level, issuers must discuss how the issuer's board evaluates climate risks, whether there is a committee responsible for climate-related issues, and whether any directors is an expert in climate issues. Of course, today, the overwhelming majority of issuers do not now have a climate-specific committee of their board and do not have a specific expert on climate. Uh, the question, I think, is how the market will, will respond to this rule if it is adopted. I think we can reasonably expect that a lot of issuers will actually adopt a framework that includes having a climate-specific committee on their board of directors as well as a climate expert, perhaps not unlike the audit committee financial expert that is currently required for, for equity issuers. At the management level, the issuer must address, among other things, 
how climate-related risks and plans are handled at the management level, whether there is an executive specifically responsible for carrying out climate-related programs, and whether any executives have experience in climate and environmental issues. Again, although this does not mandate that an issue were put in place any particular uh, regime or any particular set of staff, uh, it's very likely that issuers will respond to this by hiring, frankly, experts who can help implement plans. Uh, and I'll turn it back to Tiana to discuss the third disclosure bucket, which is climate-related impacts to financial statements. Thank you, Justin. And there, again, I would like to say that uh, some of these proposals are not surprising, but again, they are granular and some of it could be read as being relatively prescriptive. However, it is also in line uh, with trends elsewhere that we have observed, including trends in bringing more climate considerations into scope of financial reporting and finding financial reporting metrics that more correctly or maybe more thoroughly are seen to reflect climate risks and sometimes opportunities that issuers are facing. Financial statement footnotes according to the proposal, will need to disclose the impact of extreme weather and other natural conditions that have had an impact on specific line items. And here, the SEC is proposing to look at a more granular, disaggregated level and actually goes through the trouble in the proposal of setting out certain types of presentation formats that make it clear that issuers really ought to be looking at these items on a disaggregated, granular basis and not really grouping things together to give a net effect for relevant line items. And that applies to both revenue items as well as expenditure items. So parallel treatment there. And again, the intent is to really give investors more information that they could use to compare issuers just standing on their own, but also within an industry and perhaps across industries. When we talk about expenditures and what ought to be caught by these disclosure rules, these would be expenditures made to either mitigate climate-related risks, so measures that issuers are taking to mitigate the risks that are particular to their business or their operating environment, as well as any expenditures incurred as part of any climate-related transition plans. And this is important because, as the proposal also references, Different issuers, depending on the markets in which they operate and the industries in which they operate, will indeed be facing different regulatory scenarios in terms of transition plan. So obviously somebody like an oil uh, producer will be facing very different transition risks stemming, for example, from regulatory changes than somebody whose father removed, but who may then be facing more pushback in, in their markets as consumer preferences change. So th these are actually quite broadly based and will really call upon issuers to think carefully about how climate really works through different aspects of their operations, both directly, but in terms of their product and services markets. In addition, the proposal seeks to elicit details of any climate-related assumptions or estimates made in preparing the financial statements. Here, once again, we're back to the scenario where we want a more granular approach, where the SEC wants to understand what are the key assumptions and limitations going into the measures, but also to understand you know, how consistently those have been applied over time. And I think that's something that's just implicit in the proposal in terms of how the disclosure would evolve over time as one follows an issuer you know, over the course of several years 
once the uh, proposals were to come into being. And with that, uh, Justin, back to you for greenhouse gas emissions. Thank you, Joanna. Yes, the, the fourth the fourth bucket of disclosure mandated by the proposal is greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, we've we've essentially saved the best for last because this is the most onerous, the most costly, and the most controversial requirement in the proposal uh, from the perspective of issuers. The proposal would require scope one and scope two emissions for all registrants. And just to, to give a sense of what that means, scope one emissions include emissions from all operations owned or controlled by the registrant. Scope two emissions include all indirect greenhouse gas emissions from the purchase or acquisition of power that is consumed by operations owned or controlled by the registrant. We'll talk in just a minute about a much broader set of scope three emissions. Large accelerated filers and decelerated filers will also need to include a third-party attestation with respect to those greenhouse gas disclosures. Initially, this third-party attestation would be on a limited assurance basis, meaning a cold comfort standard, and then it would progress during a phase-in period to a reasonable assurance level, meaning the third party would state or conclude that it believed all of the disclosure to be accurate. The third party delivering the attestation would not need to be a registered public accounting firm, but it must meet certain specific independent standards and it must also qualify as an expert under the U.S. securities liability regime. I think an important consideration here is, although there are many consultants currently in the market advising companies on how to determine and measure their greenhouse gas emissions, it's likely that very few of these outside of large public accounting firms have a framework for understanding and analyzing and frankly pricing in the potential liability they face being an expert on a registration statement. So I think one of the things the market will need to grapple with is who is prepared to deliver these attestations and do they understand the burdens that could place on them from a liability perspective. In terms of phase-in, the SEC has presented a, a very helpful chart in their fact set available on uh, their website with respect to the proposal. But in short, the tightest timelines would apply to large accelerated filers who would be required to in include scope one and scope two disclosure for their fiscal year ended in 2023 would be required to have a limited assurance attestation beginning uh, with fiscal year 2024 and a reasonable assurance attestation beginning in fiscal year 2026. Uh, now I'll turn it back to Diana to discuss the implications of some of the scope three emission requirements. Thank you, Justin. And if we think scope one and scope two are controversial, here comes scope three, which I think will be the one that registrants and probably the industries as well will struggle with the most. So scope three is intended to apply for all registrants except smaller reporting companies. So the smaller companies are totally exempt from this. But for all other registrants, there are two conditions to be met, which if they are met would require the disclosure of scope three. And that is if such emissions are material to the business or if the registrant has a target or goal that includes scope three emissions. So in terms of materiality and consistent with case law precedent and notably Supreme Court precedent that governs in this area, 
materiality would exist if there is a substantial likelihood that a reasonable investor would consider such facts important when making an investment or voting decision. And that standard is explicitly referenced also in the proposal. The SEC acknowledges that obviously here we would be looking to the standard concept of materiality as it exists in controlling case law and that governs all of the decisions really within the thinking of what is required or ought to be disclosed by registrants. And that's going to require some thought. I mean, how is it material to the business? Is it material because even though an issuer itself may not generate significant scope one or scope three emissions in its own operations, but it's conscious that actually its products and the way they are used or the supply chain that they rely on to produce the product is a significant generator of greenhouse gas emissions. And that's going to require a fair bit of thought, a lot of discretion, and it's an area where reasonable people may very well differ. So it's quite a complex determination. I suspect what's a little bit easier is the second prong of the requirement, which is the one requiring a registrant to disclose scope three emissions if it has a target or goal that includes scope three emissions. So to give you an example, if an issuer actually makes it part of its public strategy and articulates that in its registration statements and its annual reporting, that it really is aiming to reduce its scope three emissions, then it is thought to be fair game to provide the requisite disclosure as it's outlined in the proposal itself. The proposal does provide limited safe harbors from liability for scope three metrics. Just to note, scope three emissions, because they're typically resulting from the activities of third parties in a registrant's value chain, you know, the SEC does acknowledge in the proposal that collecting the appropriate data and calculating the emissions would potentially be more difficult than for calculating scope one and scope two. And it is prepared to provide some limited safe harbors to cater to that. Um, I'm interested to see how that will play out in practice in terms of, um, in particular, issuers who have very broadly based supplier chains, you know, who have very global supplier chains, where those suppliers may be a bit less sophisticated at the moment in terms of being able to provide the data and provide it in such a form that issuers are actually comfortable relying on it for the purposes of their SEC disclosures. And with that, back to you, Justin. Thank you, Diana. I, I want to take a, a, a few minutes for us to provide just some context about how this rule could apply in the real world. When we think more broadly about goals to reduce carbon emissions to net zero, over the last number of years, many issuers have started to voluntarily report a number of metrics related to their climate impact and their climate goals. But this proposal goes quite a bit farther than that and requires extensive prescriptive disclosures with potential added liability for misstatements or omissions. Keep in mind that most issuers today who have climate goals or or, or publish climate-related material do so outside the four corners of their SEC filings. Bringing them within the four corners of the SEC filings and requiring attestation adds a significant amount of potential liability for the issuers and for whoever is providing the attestation. So it's important to think about how this may impact current practice. Issuers that have publicly disclosed environmental impact plans but would be required to disclose in their SEC filing specific targets and goals and related metrics and processes. And the scope of activities and emissions included in the target can be very important. And in particular, as Diana was mentioning, 
Issuers that have included scope three emissions, meaning all upstream and downstream em emissions, as part of their greenhouse gas goals, would be required to include the full scope three disclosures in their SEC registration statements. And as Diana mentioned, trying to refine that information would be very challenging. All right. Imagine a situation in which you make widgets and you have three suppliers for a particular maker of the widget. And each of those three suppliers has different approaches to determining their own carbon impact with respect to the piece of the widget. So perhaps supplier one says that they simply don't generate the information. Supplier two says that they have the information and it implies 100 units of, say, uh, uh, carbon emission. Supplier three is a less expensive provider, but says that their impact is 10 units instead of 100 units. If you're the issuer, what do you do? Do you go with the supplier who um, has a lower cost, but says they have one-tenth the greenhouse gas emissions? Or do you take the position that potentially their determination is unreasonable and really you should be going with provider two? These sets of issues are ones that will be very difficult for issuers and, in fact, market participants more, more broadly to grapple with. But I think perhaps more to the point, will the complexity of this exercise and the potential liability that would attach with including this disclosure in SEC filings drive many issuance, issuers to avoid setting scope three targets altogether. And I do think it's very important for us to view this rule in the broad context of a broader climate agenda. With that, uh, I know that we've we've used a great deal of your time today. I would like to put in a plug for our upcoming client seminar, uh, specifically on April 13th, we will be holding a much more detailed version of this podcast with more of our partners to cover off on additional areas, including potential impact on climate trading and derivatives market and the litigation landscape. Thank you so much for joining us today, and please watch out for invitations to the seminar on April 13th.